we often expect these kids to do, again, with the can't and won't, we expect them to do so much. And it's just overwhelming for them. We have to make things not overwhelming if we want them to be successful. A lot of times overwhelm isn't necessarily visible. You can't always look at someone and say, oh, they're overwhelmed unless you're really attuned. So we have to really step back and say, wow, are we really giving them a bite-sized expectation? Or are we making it something that they cannot be successful at? If we are, then we are not setting them up for success. So we have to make things scaffolded again so that they can succeed at the level they are at and go from there. Welcome to Tilled Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber, and this week I'm bringing back to the podcast a previous guest, executive function coach Seth Perler, for a two-part series in which Seth shares with us the exact approach he uses with students he works with when helping them foster their fledgling executive function skills. When I first had Seth on the show, he gave us an introduction to executive function, but we didn't get into the more practical strategies I know so many of us are looking for. So I asked Seth to come back on, and that conversation turned into an hour and a half long sharing by Seth of truly valuable tips and strategies and insights. Because I realize you have lives to lead and things to do, and because Seth shares so very much over the course of these 90 minutes or so, I decided to split our conversation into two parts. So today is part one of what I'm now referring to as a masterclass in executive function. In this episode, Seth shares with us his protocol for setting up a child for success in their developing executive function skills. Then in part two next week, Seth will go deep into a specific strategy surrounding building these skills in school and in life. So for today, here is part one of the Executive Functioning Masterclass with Seth. I hope you enjoy it. Hey, Seth, welcome back to the podcast. Good morning, Debbie or whatever time it is there. (laughs) Early evening, but that's okay. We are a global podcast, and I am really excited to have you back to the show. We were just talking before I hit record, and the response to the part one of this conversation about executive functioning was really overwhelmingly positive and left people wanting more. And I think we kind of knew that when we first recorded it, that we needed to do a part two. So... I'm just excited to really get into some details, some strategies and tips. And I know that you have done a lot of prep work for this conversation and you have a plan. So I'm actually, I don't usually do this, but I'm just going to kind of turn it over to you and and let you start where you want to start and we'll see where this goes. And I'm really excited to hear what you have to say. Okay. Thanks so much again. Like last time, I want to thank you for what you do because it's such important work. And um, you made a choice to do this. You just said, I'm going to take this on. And now you help all these people. So thank you again. And I also want to just compliment the teachers and parents that are listening, because if you're listening to this, you are by nature somebody who is really interested in helping your kids. And I know that, that there's a lot of people who feel like they're not doing enough or not doing it right, parents and teachers and just keep moving forward. You're doing it right. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep listening to this podcast, doing anything you can to help your kids. Um, This is not a linear journey. So yeah, thank you. That's great to hear that off the bat. Thanks. Also, this episode is going to be like drinking from the fire hose. I'm going to (laughs) throw a lot at you really fast. 
So Okay. Well, I'm going to make notes and listeners just be prepared to listen more than once and I'll try to do a good recap in my show notes as well. So, but we're ready for you, Seth. Bring it on. All right. So in the last one, we really talked a lot about what executive function is from my perspective. There are a lot of different experts that define it differently, but the way that I try to define it um, is really related to how can we use this information to help a child change their experience? Because the kids that struggle with executive function, they're they're struggling with school, um, they're struggling with grades, they're struggling with homework, they're struggling emotionally, they're stressed out, they're overwhelmed. So what I try to do when I'm talking about executive function is make it in a way that people can actually use these ideas and apply them to create change in their child's experience. Again, I want you to be able to apply these ideas so you can help change your child's experience so that they can have a better future. Not so that they can get better grades, not so that they can get into elite colleges, not so that they can get better test scores, but so that they can have a fantastic future doing things that they love to do and so that they can have a great life now we don't want to like just suffocate them with detail work and busy work and getting everything getting straight a's and getting everything done the right way in the perfect way so that they're like suffocated now so that they can have a great future that's not how it works (laughs) if we do that we're training them to be suffocated as adults Um, but how can we help them have a great experience now gain better executive function, gain better skills, and have a great future. So I'm going to be saying a lot of things, but the things I'm going to tell you today are the things that I do from from our last conversation, Debbie, these that you were asking. These are the things that I do to help families who have a child that's struggling with executive function. So I coach the parents and the student. Probably 80% of the time I'm working with the student. But the parents obviously have to be involved if the child is going to have change. And what you have to do is, you again, it's not linear. You have to have little successes and build on those successes. So the things that I'm going to teach you today, you don't have to do everything right. Just do as many of the things as you can, and they will have cascading positive effects. Okay, cool. And again, on your your podcast, I mean, we're talking about differently wired kids or neuroatypicals or atips, as I will often call them, or outside the box kids. And what parents generally want is for their kids to be happy and successful. So last time we talked a little bit about what that means. So here, here are the strategies that I use to help them execute because the problem is executive function. They have trouble executing important tasks in life and in school, and they have to figure out how to execute in order to have a happy and successful future. So the first thing that I do when I'm working with family is I do a meet and greet. And the reason I mention that is I'm not obviously doing a meet and greet with your audience, with you guys right now. But what I do, parents and teachers, in that meet and greet, the most important thing that I do is build rapport with the child. Now, as a parent, parents always tell me that their child won't listen to them or their child won't take their advice or their child is resistant to their help. Well, you should know that that's very normal. Um, don't feel like there's something wrong with you or anything. Um, but I'm building rapport in the meet and greet and you as parents and teachers like that, that trust, that emotional safety is so important if you're going to be able to push them further. And when I say push your children further, I don't mean in a pushy way, but I mean sort of scaffold them forward millimeter by millimeter to help them in their life. So that rapport is so huge. So here we go. Number one thing that I do in order to help these kids change is I I keep in mind that this is not linear. We're not doing a step-by-step 
perfect thing. There's no way to do that. We're dealing with a complex human being and helping them change. Imagine how hard it is for us adults to change a habit or something that we want to change. Now multiply that by 10 or 20 to think how hard it is to get another human being to change. So this is not linear. It's a very circuitous map. Okay. Number two is that I keep in mind the number one thing within families, and that to me is relationships. That's the most important thing you have with your kid is your relationship. And I feel like parents and teachers oftentimes feel like the relationship is in jeopardy because of the expectations that are going on and because of the conflict over what's going on with school. So keep that in mind. Your relationship is always the most important thing. When you say it's the most important thing, just to clarify, you mean that that always comes first. You would never sacrifice that to push forward any executive functioning skills that you're trying to develop. If that starts to get damaged, you would go back to building on that foundation? Yeah. I mean, I'm talking more globally that it's the most important thing in life. Got it. Is okay. your, your relationships with the people you care about. And that sometimes, whether or not you're dealing with executive function, I think it manifests more in when people are not really thinking about executive function, but they're thinking about how do I get my kid to do their homework? And they're, they know they're, and the teachers too, their motivation is to help the child do what needs to be done so that they can have a great future. That's the intent, but you don't, you want to be really careful not to sacrifice the most, the, the relationship. So for example, I'll give you one great example. A lot of times parents will be asking about tests and homework and it, it was this done, was that done? Did you turn this in? Did you turn that in? And they'll be asking multiple times a day. So that is very stressful for the student because they don't know when it's coming, when those conversations are coming. They often feel bad about themselves during the conversation. They'll often lie during the conversation to just kind of get their parents to stop asking. And and they don't know how long the conversation is going to be, how stressful it's going to be. And it's just they never know when their parents are going to ask. So that is very it can be very corrosive to your relationship. Now, you need to know as a parent what's going on, but you want to really strategize to preserve the relationship, build the relationship and have those conversations at a time when your child expects that it's coming. They know how long it's going to be like maybe once a week, you can have a deep conversation about it or once a day or whatever it is, or ask your child. But you, you just, the, however these things look, you always want to keep in mind that the number one thing is your relationship. They're going to grow up. They're going to become an adult someday. And when they're an adult, you want to have an awesome relationship with them. That's the most important thing in life. So yeah. the reason I say that is as number two, it, first is not a linear strategy. Second, to keep the relationship in mind is when you make decisions about your child, you just always want to remember that that's that's what's really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the next one is zooming out again to the purpose of education, which we already mentioned. So I won't go much into that, but which is to have a great future. So you want to have great relationships with your kids, but you also want to set them up to have a great future. And sometimes the things that we're trying to get them to do, for example, busy work homework, if if you know that it's taking them three hours to do something and they really need time for themselves, then that's a time to really advocate with the teachers and say, hey, this is not working. We need another solution for this kid. The purpose is to help them have a great future. 
this busy work is not cutting it or whatever the case may be. But zoom out. What are we doing here? So when you make decisions about your child, just always ask yourself, what are we doing here in the first place? How is it going to impact their future? Let's be real careful about our choices here. We'll be right back after this quick break. We just celebrated our two-year anniversary of Gotcha Day when we adopted our sweet Haskell, my cat who acts like a dog, plays fetch, and who I'm pretty sure has sensory processing differences. Are you getting a new pet soon? That means you'll need to think about getting the necessities like food, toys, a bed. Something you may not be thinking about, though, is pet insurance. That's why you should check out ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are, because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. There's so much more to maintaining a healthy gut microbiome than eating a balanced and healthy diet, travel, certain medications, and of course, something many of us have plenty of in our daily life, stress, are just some of the other factors that can totally throw off our systems. Enter Ritual. They created Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Their supplement includes two of the world's most clinically studied probiotic strains to support the relief of mild and occasional bloating, gas, and diarrhea. I like Symbiotic Plus because it delivers all this goodness in one single nested minty delayed released capsule designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract. And because the capsules don't require refrigeration, I just keep them on my desk so that I get that helpful visual cue every morning. Plus, they're easy to bring with me when I travel. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. And the next thing that, that I do is, is to do my own deep inner work. And I want parents and teachers to do their own deep inner work. Because if you want to help your child, you need to really be t- doing self-care. Uh, doing what you need to be doing for yourself, being happy in your own life, um, being congruent with your own beliefs and things like that. So if you need uh, a therapist or to read books and self-help books may sound cheesy, but if you need to read books that that help you or journal or, you know, spend more time with people that are dear friends with you to work on your own stuff or whatever it is. Parents and teachers doing their own deep inner work is going to trickle down to the kids. They see that. They feel it. They learn through seeing how we are. If they see us 
not addressing our own issues, they are learning that they don't need to do that, that that's not something that's valuable. If they see us doing it just by seeing it, we don't even have to talk about it. <laughs> they, they will learn that those things are valuable. So I think that's really important. And Debbie, let me back up here. I, I'm talking about strategies I help kids learn to execute. And I haven't even gotten to the strategies yet because I'm talking <laughs> about all of these background things that have an effect. But I will get to those strategies too in a, in a few moments. So um, I talk a lot with my students about metacognition. Metacognition to me really refers to self-awareness, um, understanding who you are as a learner, as a feeler, as an emotional being, um, as a thinker. How do you think? How do you feel? Um, we often do things blindly, but the more metacognitive awareness we have, the more consciousness we have, the more mindfulness we have, the more aware of how we tick we are, the better choices we can make. So metacognition is the next one. That's number five. Number six has to do with the motivation lie, you know, that, that we say, oh, my kid's not motivated. They procrastinate. They're not disciplined. They don't care. They don't try hard enough. All of these things that are based on a misunderstanding of executive function. Our kids are not broken. Your child is not broken. Your student is not broken. There is nothing wrong with them. There is more wrong with the approaches that we take to help them and to get them, for example, if they're not motivated to do homework, but they are motivated to do video games, then you have to ask yourself, how can we make the homework more, quote, motivating? How can we make it more interesting? How can we make it more meaningful? How can we make it more real? How can we make it more relevant? How can we make it more powerful? So it's not the student that there's something wrong with them, but they're having trouble executing on something that uh, it also has to do with they might not be executing because they really don't have the skills to do what we're asking them to do. And that leads on to the next one, which is number seven, which is that they can't because they can't, not because they won't. This isn't 100% true, especially as kids get more into middle school and high school and they can get jaded and really feeling bad about things. But before that point, when they're not just shut down, they can't do what we're asking them to do because they can't. They literally don't have the executive function skills or whatever the skill sets that are required to do what we're asking them to do, not because they won't do it, um, generally speaking. And the reason I mention that is because we often think they just won't do it. They're just not trying. They're just not doing their best. Well, oftentimes we're asking them to do something that they literally do not have the skills to do. And we are making things worse often by the ways we approach getting them to do those things. So we really need to back up and scaffold them forward from where they're at. And the next one, number eight, is mindfulness. So people talk a lot about mindfulness, but again, what I was saying earlier, it's very related to the metacognition. It's really being mindful of the things that you're doing. So oftentimes we're walking around blindly and pretty mindless and we're, we're just reacting to life and we're not really thinking about things. But to help them be mindful of what's going on with homework, what's going on with their emotions, what's going on with the words that come out of their mouth, help them develop a mindfulness, an awareness, a consciousness of what they're doing from moment to moment. Even us as adults, it's very hard to develop mindfulness and to really be aware of what you're doing. Like if you're listening to this, you're listening to a podcast right now. 
Are you doing 15 things at a time? Are you trying to do one thing at a time? Where's your mind right now? And is it where you want it to be? So, But teaching them that is something that I really work on. And then I also teach them mindset. So mindset, if, you know, a lot of the kids, probably almost all the kids that I work with come to me with mindsets that are um, very limiting. They have a lot of limiting beliefs around who they are and their abilities. You know, they'll say, I'm, I'm stupid. I can't do this. Uh, I'm a failure. Why try? You know, they have these mindsets um, and these mindsets can keep them stuck. So we want to help them learn to challenge what their mindsets are. And this is another one with the, the deep inner work. You know, as adults, a lot of times we have our own limiting mindsets. Oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not this enough. I'm not that enough. And we teach them that. We don't mean to. And we want them to be confident, but we're often not ourselves. So we want to develop our own abundance mindsets, growth mindsets. Carol Dweck did a, a, a lot of work around something called growth mindsets, and what she called fixed. So fixed would be the more limiting mindsets that, oh, I'm, I can't, I can't do that. No, it's too hard. You know, why try? Um, but a growth mindset is, oh, I can do anything. Uh, I, it's not going to be easy, but I can figure this out. Where do we, how, not can I do this, but how can I do this? So we really want to work with mindsets with our kids. Number 10, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? I said that this podcast would be like drinking from the fire hose. Like there's a lot of information in this podcast, this episode, but how do you eat an elephant? We can't teach kids the way I'm doing this podcast. I would never work with a kid the way I'm doing this podcast right now. <laughs> how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? We often expect these kids to do again with the can't and won't. We expect them to do so much and it's just overwhelming for them. We have to make things not overwhelming if we want them to be successful. A lot of times overwhelm isn't necessarily visible. You can't always look at someone and say, oh, they're overwhelmed unless you're really attuned. So we have to really step back and say, wow, are we really giving them a bite size expectation? Or are we making it something that they cannot be successful at? If we are, then we are not setting them up for success. So we have to make things scaffolded again so that they can succeed at the level they are at and go from there. Just a bite at a time. Next is um, the advocacy. So when I'm working with students, I'm teaching them self-advocacy. I'm teaching parents how I advocate with schools. And sometimes I'm advocating for them by me calling or emailing or going to meetings but um, teaching students to advocate. And I always say that this is one of the easier ones because once students advocate a few times, they learn that teachers generally really are on their sides and want to help them. And teachers will give them secrets to success for their particular classes and things like that. And when things are really not working and you feel like a helicopter parent or you feel like you know, oh, I don't want to embarrass my kid, you know, or whatever the resistance is, because there will be resistance a lot of times with advocacy. But you, your gut is telling you something's wrong. You got to do it anyway. Advocate, advocate, advocate. If you know something doesn't feel right, you have to go in there. And advocation is always about one word, which is clarity. Hey, teacher, I need some clarity. What, what exactly are you asking for on this assignment? Hey, principal, I need some clarity. Why is this going on? What's this about? How can you help me? Um, you're always seeking clarity when you're advocating. I just say that because it makes it easy to convey to parents. 
how can you craft your email or how can you ask the questions you need to ask in a conference or whatever. You're always seeking clarity. Um, and we're on number 12. Learn about executive function from other experts. There's a lot of great stuff out there. A lot of it, it might be hard to sift through, but just keep learning. Keep learning about the brain. Keep learning about learning. Just keep researching that stuff, finding great videos or blogs or books or whatever about it. So keep learning about this stuff. Number 13, understand the complexity of kids. These kids are extraordinarily complex beings. A lot of times, a label is great, and a label can be very useful in ways, but labels represent spectrums. And you really need to, if there's a label, really look at, well, where is your child on the different spectrums within the label? Because there are multiple. So, for example, I, I don't know if that this is how the DSM is this year, but I think there are like 18 markers for ADHD. And if you have six at a certain level, supposedly you have ADHD, Some something like that. And... So you can say my child has ADHD, but if there are, you know, let's say your child has nine of the markers at a certain level, you, you want to look at each of those individual things and really ask yourself, how does this matter in terms of helping my child? <laughs> you know, if I just say, oh, my, my child has ADHD, help them. Well, people have their own ideas about what that means. So you really want to be looking at, well, what are the symptoms? What are the challenges here? We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast 
for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. And also with the complexity of kids, there are comorbidities often, meaning that there are often multiple diagnoses. And many times there are mislabels. Many times there are overdiagnosis. There's underdiagnosis. There's misdiagnosis. There might be sensory issues going on. There, there might be all kinds of things going on. So when you're trying to like, crack the code of your kid, there is some of the science to it, but it's more of an art than a science. Don't overanalyze things. Don't say, oh, I need to figure out this label and understand every detail of this and, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but use it to drive the decisions you make to help them. Really look at the symptoms. Yeah, symptoms. But I had Dr. Gail Saltz on the show talking about her book, The Power of Different. And we talked a lot about that idea of symptoms. I think that's such a great reminder that that's what we're trying to help and support are the actual problems, not the, the diagnoses. Yeah, the symptoms are something you can do something about. And there's also n often no shame or less shame associated with symptoms. But labels, there's all, all, a lot of story around that. Again, there's value in them, in the labels um, or the diagnoses. But you really want to look at, yeah, what are those symptoms and how can we help? And number 14 is huge. It's very big for me when I'm working with families. It is understanding emotional regulation. So I don't think I mentioned this at all last time, but when I'm working with these kids, let's say that I have a, a student that says, I hate math. And, you know, they're throwing that sentence out there. I hate math. Okay, great. Well, but if you think about it, that word hate, that's a very strong word. That's an emotion, hate, okay? Wow, I want to, if they say that, I, I don't want to say, okay, well, let's just do it anyway. I want to say, whoa, you hate math. Let's unpack that. What's that about? Where in your body do you hate? And if you're listening to this listener and you're like, what the heck does that mean? Where in your body do you hate? Emotions are a physical experience. Our students, our children are having emotional, physical reactions to the emotions they're having. These are real. They feel them in their body. And we need to be teaching them about that and about how to regulate emotion, about how to understand them, how to talk about them, how to move through emotions, um, how to work with emotion. So one of the things that I teach parents to do is to co-regulate, which is where Let's say um, you notice your child's really stressed and you tell them, just take a breath. Well, 
that the, that can work, but a lot of people don't want to hear that. But if you place your hand over your chest and you take a long, deep breath yourself as you're looking at them, we do that with mirror neurons that your child will start to regulate. Similarly, if you're really dysregulated, emotionally dysregulated, and you're having a conversation with someone that can bleed over to them. You know, we can pick up on somebody's nervousness or anger or whatever. But the opposite is true, too. If we are regulated, we can help them become regulated by staying regulated, by, quote, feeling them. So really becoming attuned to what they're feeling and really asking them what's going on and pausing and listening to what they're trying to tell you. So with emotional regulation, it's I mean, talking about this in two minutes isn't going to be super helpful, but I'll try to tell you some things that will be helpful. One thing is I teach parents a lot about wait time, which is when you ask your child a question, hey, what's going on? And they respond however they respond. A lot of times we automatically respond back to them. And what I want you to do is when you say, hey, what's going on? And they say, blah, 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 blah. Before you respond, I want you to wait three seconds and see if they say more because a lot of times they'll say more. And let's say that they do or don't say something else. I don't want you to just start talking again. I want you to say, well, what else? Just a very open-ended question. Tell me more. And then wait again. Wait another long three seconds. These kids need time to process. A lot of them need extra time to process words to get them from their brain out of their mouth. And we expect responses so quickly a lot of times that I think a lot of the pressure for kids to be dishonest is because we expect them to answer so quickly. And they there's a lot of pressure on them. So relieve the pressure. What's going on? Pause. What else? Tell me more. And really listen. And then you can reflect back to them. Okay, so what I hear you saying is this. Is that right? And then listen to if they tell you that you're actually understanding them or not. So get out of the pattern of reacting in conversations and really with, with emotional regulation, really slow it down. You can also ask questions like, what, what's blocking you? I ask all my clients this when I'm first meeting them. What are your biggest blocks? But when you're dealing with emotional regulation, too, you can say, well, what's blocking you right now from, from getting what you want? What do you want? How can I be helpful? Your kids don't want to hear you say, oh, this is how I'm going to help you. Ask them how you can help them. Now, they may or may not give you a realistic answer, but you have to build that trust over time that when you say, how can I help, that they and you pause and you wait and you really listen that they can start to trust. Okay, wow, I'm really emo feel emotionally safe. Even though I feel crazy right now or angry or upset or frustrated or withdrawn or whatever, I know that I'm emotionally safe with my parent or my teacher right now. I know that they're really listening. They're really there. So anyhow, just learn to understand emotional regulation as much as you can. And a little bit more on that because it's so important. So what I teach people a lot about, and this really helps kids to learn about the brain, is that these kids often, when they are um, struggling emotionally and they're emotionally overwhelmed, whether or not it's visible externally, whether or not you can tell by looking at them, um, what's going on is that they have a story in their head. And that story is a story that they feel threatened. They feel unsafe. When we feel unsafe, 
emotionally. What happens is it sends a message to the amygdala, the small part of the brain. The amygdala sends a message to the adrenal glands, which are located above the kidneys. The adrenal glands send a message, send adrenaline to the heart, and the heart starts sending adrenaline to the muscular system so that we can be ready for fight, flight, or freeze. So if a student feels unsafe, they go into different levels of fight, flight, or freeze. Now, you cannot learn when you're in fight, flight, or freeze. And a lot of our kids are getting in and out of anxiety and fight, flight, or freeze like all day long. They're spiking in and out of it, and they're really struggling emotionally. And it's, it can be very hard for us to see. So it's so important for you guys to under, start understanding emotional regulation, research the amygdala, research fight, flight, or freeze, and just learn as much as you can about this because your emotional life is so important. It's how life feels. Yeah. And all the, I mean, this is a huge thing for me too. And I know a lot of our listeners, but just quickly are all of the things you shared with us about understanding emotional regulation. The side effect of that is that we're building our kids emotional IQ as well. Like that they're, they're going to through doing all of these things consistently, eventually really understand how they work emotionally as well. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they they gain the awareness, the metacognition that you called it um, emotional IQ. Mm -hmm. Yep. And the more they understand it, the more they can work with it. Yes. Cool. Okay. So that was a long one. It was good. It's so, though. It's so it's important. So important. Yeah. And then number 15 is very simple. Food, sleep and exercise. Uh, I, I'm not going to go into that, but okay. <laughs> we can figure <laughs> that one out. <laughs> they're the they're the they're the basis of strong executive function, uh, at least getting the best executive function, your baseline of where you should be. If you're really um, eating food that is nourishing your body, getting restful sleep and getting plenty of exercise. So number 16 is the three to one rule. And I taught I teach parents about the three to one rule a lot. But that is that when you're communicating with your child, you really want to really focus on the positive. And a lot of times the negatives or the missing homeworks or the missing assignments or the F's on tests are so easy to see. They're so concrete, you know, that we will be like, what's going on with this? Why did you fail this test? Why did you forget to turn your homework in? I know you did it or whatever it is. So you have to have those conversations, but you want to do three positives to every one perceived negative. So, hey, you know, I'm really proud of you. You studied for five minutes, <laughs> even though they may have needed to study for 30. You know, you want to focus on, look, you did. You actually studied for five minutes. I actually saw you really get focused. I saw you really get into you sat at the table, you got rid of your distractions, you turned your cell phone into airplane mode. I'm really proud of you. That's really awesome. Like you want to notice what they're doing right. Three to one rule, try, and it's very hard parents and teachers, but try to really go for three to one, even if it's one to one or two to one, whatever it is, as long as it's not a ratio of more negatives than positives. Um, but the three to one just makes it easy to think of how can I get them three positives for every one perceived negative? Yeah, that word perceived jumped out of me when you first said it. And I can you say more about that? Because we we may not really realize how they're internalizing yeah. our message. Yeah, you might say to your child, hey, you need to clean your room. And why are you always bugging me? Right. I'm just trying, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that might be a perceived negative and you're you're not being negative at all. So that will get better. 
Okay, this is a good place to pause our conversation as Seth is just about to go into his more nitty gritty strategies of what he calls Frankenstudy for how to specifically support kids in different areas of executive function to help them in school and life. To listen to that episode, tune in next week. For now, you've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, including links to Seth's website and all the resources we discussed, visit tiltparenting.com slash session 96. If you like what you heard on today's episode, I would be grateful if you could take a minute to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or a review. Thank you so much for helping us stay visible so people who would benefit from this show can easily find it. Lastly, if you aren't already part of the online community at Tilt, I invite you to join us. Every Thursday, I send out a short email with a quick note for me, a link to that week's podcast episode, and links to five stories from the news that week that are relevant to parents like us. You can sign up for that at TiltParenting.com. Thanks again for listening. And for more information on Tilt Parenting, visit TiltParenting.com. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.